creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk You're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. Do you ever get the feeling that you are creatively wandering aimlessly? Like you're just focused on all of the wrong things while the stuff that you would really excel at and really feel at home in are actually passing you by and you're missing the opportunity. How in the world do you find a direction as a creative person? This is a incredibly difficult issue. And I think with the way that the creative mind sees infinite possibilities, you're never gonna feel 100% like you're going the right way all the time. But today in this episode, I wanna share a way of approaching how to find the direction you should be heading right now that has helped me and that I've returned to over and over and over throughout the years of doing this creative practice. This episode is part of our, it's part one of our creative summer school series. This summer, I just felt like it was the right time to revisit some of the biggest ideas from the show that I returned to the most and also see how they can all kind of fit together sequentially. And it's kind of one part mid-year tune-up and also some reflection before we go into the chaos of the fall. So if you are lacking creative direction or you feel uneasy about the way that you're currently going and the path you're on, episode one of this series is designed to help you course correct and get back on the path. Let's go. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. 
If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Chapter one, what's in your box? In my experience, the first step to getting unlost creatively is to quit thinking outside the box. Yes, don't rewind your podcast. You heard that right. Quit thinking outside the box. Quit starting there. There's this one story about legendary comic George Carlin that we've talked about a few times on the show that I want to revisit because I think it holds some real secret, easy to miss creative wisdom that I think we should all revisit frequently because on the surface of this story is a very misleading takeaway. Like I think the the lesson that it seems to be telling actually might send you in the wrong direction, but underneath, I think there's something really, really powerful that can help us find our direction as creators. Okay, so if you don't know, George Carlin is a famous comedian from back in the day. That's the official time frame when he was practicing. Uh, You say back in the day because I'm like, is it 70s, 80s? I don't really know. Um, But it was in that time, okay? And he was famous for being kind of anarchist, political, never holding back and really sticking it to the man. And he had these poignant arguments against like the the prevailing religion and and. The, I don't know, culture at the time. And I imagine for many, he was kind of the voice of his generation. And he was just cutting and subversive and incredibly insightful. He was also on Thomas the Tank Engine. Call back. Calling, calling back to a previous episode. Carlin back. Um, I'm bringing Carlin back on this with Thomas. Um, anyway, he was on Thomas the Tank Engine. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know. That was my introduction to him growing up as a kid in the 90s. Anyway, there's a legendary story about this legendary comic of how he became the comic we know today. Now, a lot of folks might not realize that. The Carlin we know today was not how he got started. And actually, he spent a considerable part of his career not being this outspoken comic. Uh, In fact, he started completely clean cut in a suit, uh, very much a product of his comedy hero, Danny Kaye. He wanted to be just like him. But as the legend would have it, one day, George Carlin was sick of being a copycat. That whole shtick was just starting to feel really itchy and uncomfortable for him. And so one day he goes out on stage carrying a cardboard cutout of himself in the suit. Uh, But he's in his normal street clothes for the first time on stage. And he throws the cardboard cutout off the stage and says something like that guy's dead. Like meet the real George Carlin. And From that image, it feels like overnight he became the legend that we all know today. Uh, And on the surface, I think the moral of this story 
seems pretty obvious. Your inflection point that changes everything is going to be when you quit trying to be like everybody else, you quit mimicking your heroes, you quit trying to be something you're not and just be you. And I think like, I actually think that is true, that that is the inflection point. That is where the hero gets interesting is when they disobey their master. Like that is, there is a lot of truth to that. That's the climax of the story. But I think that that's also kind of like to, to say that that's how you do it is kind of like looking at a loaf of bread in the oven and being like, the most important thing is the bread rising. Now, I think that's true. I'm a big bread fan and I like that, you know, you ever made a bread loaf at home and it didn't rise and it's just, I, that's not my jam. Okay. I like the big fluffy stuff. That is the key result you're looking for, for the bread to rise. But you can know that you're shooting for that thing and not know how to get there. It's very easy to get the result that you're after confused with what caused that desired result. So George Carlin didn't rise because he finally rose up. He rose up because there was something in that mix that caused him to rise. There was an active ingredient that caused him to find himself and it wasn't finding himself. What is the creative rising agent that brings a creator to that place and puts them in the direction that they need to go? What if the key to finding him and, and who he was as a creator was actually losing himself in someone else first? Like what if that is the yeast. What if the key to him being a rising star wasn't that he finally found himself? That's not the key. That was the result. What? That was the treasure that the key opened. Uh, but what if he found himself because he first lost himself in his hero? You know, go study your creative heroes. There are exceptions to this rule. That's for sure. But I would venture to say the rule is being yourself creatively starts with being someone else. It is such a classic tale. If you dig into the biographies and the stories of your creative superheroes, you are going to see this over and over and over. Now, we talk a lot on this show about how you are unique in all the universe and how it's super important to find and own your own path. And I desperately believe that is where we are trying to head 100%. But do you know how different you are, like how truly different you are from the person that's sitting right next to you on the subway right now? Like, or, or wherever you, the person you're looking at across the kitchen or in the house next door, how different are you? Do you actually know what the difference between your DNA and their DNA is? It's 0.1%. That's how different we are to each other. That's right. Like the difference between you and me, George Carlin and Danny Kay is just one percent, not one percent, not even 1%, 0.1% of your DNA. When I talk to business folks, I always feel like I'm trying to get them to realize like you are unique in all the world. Like own your neurodiversity, own the, the how, how truly unique you are. From, from every point, like that is where the innovation is going to come. 
But sometimes when I'm talking to creative people, I almost feel like doing the opposite. I almost feel like saying, hey, just for starters, because I know you're getting into this creative game to self-express and find your unique point of view and your style and everybody's after that. But what if instead we started with the fact that you are 99.9% just like every other person on this planet? And that maybe the reason you haven't found your way isn't because you haven't found why you're so special, but that you don't realize that you're not that special. Like I think both of these things are true. I think that there's a kind of order to finding them. Like both are true. You're not special and you are. And I think the way you find your specialness is by owning your lack of specialness. Okay. That's the technical way to talk about it. But just going off DNA alone, your way is likely the path that you need to be on is likely based on that to look 99.9% like someone else's path. Now there's more factors, you know, there's story experience, there's trauma, there's all kinds of different things that mean that you are actually different than 0.1% than other people. But just on a fundamental level, I think it's a really fascinating, powerful thing to start in that place. And here is my point. If you don't take anything else from this episode, take this. Finding your people is halfway to finding yourself. You know, finding your creative kindred spirits That is halfway to finding yourself. And I think that most creators are lost because they heard that you're supposed to think outside the box and they totally missed the point. A listener sent me a voice memo the other day and it just like knocked my socks off. It was listener Andre Petrovich. And I, and I hope uh, I'm doing a good job of saying that. Um, He sent me this fascinating story in a response to an older episode where we talked about this idea of not thinking too far outside the box to start with. And he said that he was listening to a talk by the biographer, Walter Isaacson, who wrote the famous biographies on Einstein, Benjamin Franklin, Steve Jobs, a bunch of different kind of people that are celebrated as being geniuses. And after the talk, he told the story that one time some person from the audience came up and was like, Hey, I'm just like Einstein and jobs and Franklin. Like I also completely think outside the box and Isaacson like paused and responded with that might be true. But the difference between you and Einstein is that Einstein also knew what was in the box. Like he was very, he was very aware of the laws of the universe that we understood at the time because he had followed his heroes. He had embraced the the 99.9% similarities. So he understood and that meant that he had something to go off, something to jump off. So what is in your box? Start there before you're out in the wilderness, way far outside the box. We're going to get there. That's part of the, that's where we're trying to go. That's the direction we're trying to head. But the path to get there, you got to find your creative yeast. You know, Danny Kay was George Carlin's box. And hopefully someday you will be great enough to be the box of creative yeast for another creator. You'll be the lesson of how to kind of paint by numbers before they go outside the lines. 
and you'll be the spring box that they jump off of. And so if you are sick of being lost, stuck on the ground, quit trying to figure out what's inside you and instead ask yourself like, what's inside my box? What is my box? What is, how much can I learn from the people that are, you know, not just 0.1% like me, but go even further. Can you go find the people that you're like, these people are like, like even more like me than your average person is that if you find them, you are going to get so much closer to finding that little tiny difference, that little contribution that you have to give to this planet through your creative work. And that is going to give you a direction in your work. Chapter two, the niche bullshy. Okay, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get to finding your box and, and finding that person and those people, those heroes that are going to help you find yourself. But before we do that, we need to organize how we're going to think about all this stuff. The second step to finding your creative direction is to organize your skills, your strengths, and your quirks in a way that leverages them for the maximum effect and actually gives you a way to think about them with some clarity so that you can take some action. Longtime listeners have heard me dive into this topic a handful of times. If that's you, if you're in that boat today and this piece isn't new territory, uh, just be aware that when I plan this out, the reason I did it was because I applied it fresh to my practice and I got a ton from it. And in fact, the things that we're going to talk about in the summer series, this summer school, creative pep talk, summer school series, they're all things that I return to over and over and over again. And so they're going to be things that pop up uh, frequently throughout the history of however long I keep doing this podcast. Um, I use this tool every six months or so to kind of course correct and get back on the path. This, you, this tool, the most useful way to conceptualize this idea, for me, I'm going to call it the niche bullseye. Now, I scared you. Now, <laughs> I don't know what that, now, I don't know what that sound is. Now, before moving straight on to the niche bullseye, let me just address the elephant in the room. Yes, I tend to pronounce the word niche, not niche. Okay, look, I just want to let everybody know. I know there are multiple ways to say it. And I know if you say niche and I'm saying niche, it like uh, kind of makes you uncomfortable. It's kind of like GIF and GIF. I get it, man. I just want you to know, I know. And I'm making an active choice to say niche because it complements my kind of harsh, nasally Midwestern crunch of a voice. I'm not going to walk around saying niche like I was brought up in a funchy tea parties on the south coast of France. Like, I'm not on the beaches of San Palais saying, uh, pash the quiche while we talk about our niche. I'm not going to do that. No, I grew up not in the southern half of France, but southern Indiana. So I said, you know, we. I was like, hey, toss me one of those egg triangle kitches. That's what we say. We call quiche kitsch over here, just like we say niche. Um, I don't actually, we don't, we don't call them kitsch. It's still quiche, but, um, and I don't even know if people in Indiana call it niche or not, but that's what I just say it because it sounds more natural for me. So shut up. 
Good God. And actually, I don't care. I could, maybe I'll just, the rest of the episode, half the time I'll say niche and half the time I'll say niche and then it'll just mess with everybody. All right. Honestly, I don't care how anyone says it, but the, the bottom line is it's an extremely helpful idea, especially when you apply it this way. When you're trying to find your creative direction, this is how to identify the bullseye in which to throw your creative dart. This is how to find the hyper specific way you want to move towards. So you can think of it like this, the niche or niche, the niche bullseye or the niche bullshye. Think of these three concentric circles like a bullseye, you know, the kind that archers shoot at and that you, you go, uh, go buy kind of designery things at, um, that kind of target, the biggest circle, there's three circles. The biggest circle is your creative discipline or you can call it your industry. And this thing is determined by whatever your primary skill is. Usually it's the thing that you feel most competent in. That's why you became a designer. That's your big circle discipline or industry. Or that's maybe you feel great at drawing. That's why you became an illustrator. That's your big circle industry. Maybe you write songs. That's why you are in the music industry. Okay, so whatever your primary skill is, whatever the thing you're building this whole practice on in the most broad sense, that is your industry. That's your big circle. Your middle circle within that circle is your genre or your market. And that's kind of like what you think the flavor of or the strength of your skill is. So if you're a, you know, if you are a musician in the music industry, there are so many different markets that you could fit in. You could, you might be a mus in the music industry, but you, you're like Jason Siegel in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, where you're doing like the the music to the CSI show. Like that's that's a soundtrack for a show, TV music. That's its own market. That's its own middle circle. It's the strength within your skill. Might be the strength, but it also may, might be just like the opportunities that you have at your disposal. It was this kind of the way the, the path went. Okay, that's the middle circle. The little circle, the bullseye, that is your niche, your USP. It's your unique selling point. It's the quirks of the strength within your skill. Okay, those are the three circles all the way down. Now, I have multiple pieces to my practice and they all have their own model. They all have their own niche bullseye that I use for them. That's right. Like I, I have multiple niche bullseyes and I organize the whole thing into an even bigger metaphorical model. I'm a metaphorical model madman where they all kind of, you zoom in and it's just niche bullseyes all the way down. I am the metaphorical model madman and I see concentric circles all the way down. I am the metaphorical model madman. And I see concentric circles all the way down. So, for instance, I will explain what I'm talking about with that. My primary creative outlet at this moment, the one that I'm kind of pioneering in really my, my primary target 
is probably kids' books, okay? And so the big circle, illustration industry, middle circle, kids' book market, little circle, it's the niche uh, of trippy, artsy, heartsy kind of stuff. That's what makes my stuff different. That's the little 0.1% difference of the stuff that's in that market. That 0.1%, that's your niche. That's your direction. You're only going to get to what that is if you understand the big circle and the middle circle. Then you will figure out what the little circle is. Okay? Now, now. Now, book uh, we put out a couple years ago called Pizza With Everything On It, written by Kyle Sheely, illustrated by me. It has all of those factors, the, the trippy, artsy, heartsy, like, <laughs> I'm just assuming you know what I mean by heartsy. It's got a lot of heart. It is a great example of that bullseye because it has, uh, it's in the illustration industry, which is the, the core skill, which is making pictures in that target. Uh, it's in the kids book market in that middle circle. And it's, it exemplifies the quirks of my strength of my skill. And so it's got out there ideas, the trippiness, it's got the gouache on matte paper artsiness, and it's ultimately a story about a dad and a son having a great time. Uh, it has all the heart. Now, as I'm going through this process fresh, and I have some things in the works for the next projects, I'm realizing like the aim of that niche bullseye is giving me some fresh insight because I realized the dead center of that bullseye for me is actually not the trippy artsy heartsy. It's the, it's every time I say it, I just don't like it, but it, it works. Um, the, the, dead center, I'm realizing the further I go is actually story. Now you might be thinking, Andy, how is it that your niche is story in the market of story books? What the heck? But actually I think kids books have really ventured super far away from story. At least the, the way I like to conceptualize what story is and what it's for at, and why we engage in it as humans. Like, I want to make the trippy, weird, artsy, heart-focused stuff, but I want it to be traditional storytelling that most kids' books just aren't really doing that. I feel like, in a way, we've wandered so far away outside the box with storytelling that I just have this deep desire to get back to, like, why do humans tell stories? Um, and what are all those pieces? And can kids' books do that as well as any other storytelling medium. Like that's my fascination and that's how I want my books to be different. Um, I want to get, do books that are trippy and weird and have tons of heart in ways that are totally different. Uh, but I actually think making them have some traditional story elements will make them really different in, in the current market. So back to the concentric circles all the way down, I go the extra mile and organize that into an, a bigger framework that's complementary to that kid's book target. Now, you don't have to do this, but in case you have a really robust ecosystem of a creative practice, this might be helpful, but it also might be confusing if, if, you, if you don't. So for me, the bigger concentric circle, the bigger niche bullseye might be my big circles like the public speaking kind of Ted talky thing, that industry in the middle, the market is the podcast and the little circle within that 
is that I'm a creative kids book maker storyteller. Like the thing that makes me the, the quirk of my podcast and my talks is that I'm the one on stage who makes picture books when everybody else uh, has all these other different types. So that's the way your niche is your unique selling point. It's just the way that you stand out. And it's the quirk of your strength of your skill. So the way that you stand out, that 0.1%, it doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. And that's part of the reason I think sometimes we get so lost is we think we've got to rebuild this thing from the ground up and be this singular moment in time that's nothing like anything that's ever been done. Like instead, you're the niche, the thing that's really going to be the difference between you and all the other people, they're just little things. Like... If I'm on, if I get to do a TED talk one day, like the thing that will be different from me and the next person won't be like, I'm, I may, I'm using my own made up language uh, and I'm doing the talk stood on my hands with a fish bowl in my shoe. Like, I don't know, like it's not going to be any of that. It's just going to be like, oh, you remember that guy? Like, I really liked that person's talk. Oh, who was it? Uh, you know, he's the, he was the one that made picture books and was really obsessed with story. Like, and it was ADHD, like, right? There's the little kind of quirks to the strength of the skill. That's the direction. The call to adventure, find your cows. Okay, so to review, step one is you got to quit thinking uh, that the first step of being creative is thinking outside the box and instead embrace the box, figure out what's in the box before you get any further. It will be your spring box to rise. Like that is, I really believe that is the key. Step two is how you start organizing how you fit within a industry. It's going to be how in, in the industry market and niche or niche, that's how you're going to start conceptualizing how to think about what the box is. Now that box, that is your market. Okay. Step three is the call to creative adventure today that you can put into practice right now is to find your cows. It's to your cows are your box is your yeast, it's so many layers. But what I'm actually saying is, it is your market models. It's the people that exist in your market. They're the people that are your kindred spirits creatively. They're the people that aren't just 0.1% like you. You're even closer to those than your average humans. It's really, really important that you understand who those people are. And today, my encouragement is that you name those cows. And here's what that means. Marketing expert Seth Godin, he wrote a book called Purple Cow. And it's all about standing out in the market. And basically, he's saying like a purple cow is going to get more attention than regular cows. Now, now, now. it'd be so easy to completely miss the point of this episode that we started with at the top, which is it'd be easy to look at it and be like purple cows, be crazy, be unlike anything ever. And listen to that George Carlin story and think the key is to be wildly different, but it's actually more nuanced and brilliant than that because it's not a purple alien. It's a purple cow. 
It's not a wacky different take on something that's never been seen. It's a wacky different take on something that is deeply familiar. It's, it's a purple cow, okay? Now, when Seth Godin does his talk on this topic, he talks about how silk milk, the almond milk, how it became a, such a huge new innovative product. It happened not by being unlike anything anyone had ever seen. They actually were struggling and weren't taking off when their milks were on the shelf out in the store. Because guess what? You don't have to refrigerate silk milk. It didn't stand out. It didn't find its direction and path until they put it in the refrigerator anyway, right next to the other cows. You know what I'm saying? It's the same principle. I think about it like to find your place, to find your direction, to find how you're going to stand out within this giant creative world. You have to be the purple cow. You have to be like a focal point in a piece of graphic design or, or art or what have you. You have to create a pattern and then break it. Okay, but without the pattern, it's just white noise. Like people are not going to waste the calories that they have trying to figure out what the heck you're doing. Like trying to figure out what the heck is that box that says milk, but it's on the shelf. Like I, I just don't have time for that. And so here's what I encourage you to do. Do what I've been doing. This process, I've been using it afresh. Uh, I asked a question on my Instagram. If you follow me over there, Andy J Pizza, you might've saw it. I've been looking at like solo podcast creators, market models who really did something incredible just from something they started on their own, like Creative Pep Talk, but people that are way down the road that I can learn from. It's people like Allie Ward. She does the podcast Ologies, all about all the ologies, all the sciences, the biologies, the geologies, all of the ologies. Phenomenal podcast by a solo creator. Song Exploder by Rishi Kesh Hirway. An incredible podcast started by a solo creator that ended up becoming a Netflix show. Uh, 20,000 Hertz by Dallas Taylor. These are people like, I just wanted to list them out and figure out like everything I can learn from them. What is in that box before I try to use it as a spring box as before I try to find my own way. So what are yours? You know, one of the things that is the, the biggest downfall of so many creators is that they try to be too original in everything that they do. And they end up wasting their creativity in all of these endeavors that don't actually lead to anything. One of the ways that that works out is they don't find their cows. They don't find where they fit into the market and they try to create their own markets. Do you know what that is? That's actually trying to engineer people's social consumer behaviors. And when that happens, it's called a unicorn because it's so rare. The reason that Mark Zuckerberg has that money that he has is because he changed cultural consumer behavior in such a foundational way that it's called a unicorn because it almost doesn't exist when he made Facebook. And 
when we go to the market, so many creators, they want to make uh, their desk creative. They want to make how they, the process, they want to make how they sell it. They want to create. I created a whole new marketing scheme that's never been seen. I'm, I'm going to create a whole new way to buy art. But the fact of the matter is, first of all, that just almost never, ever happens. Like changing consumer behavior almost never, ever, ever happens. Getting people to buy milk off the shelf almost never happens. And it, it happens so not often that trying to make it happen is like trying to win the lottery. And instead, I think what you see with these true creative geniuses is they save every ounce of their creativity to put it in that bullseye to focus it on that 0.1%. That is why people like who Walter Isaacson was writing about people like Steve Jobs wore a turtleneck, black turtleneck every single day so that he didn't waste any of that precious creativity on his outfit, on his, you know, path, but instead focused on that little tiny plot of land. And the most incredible things can be done like that. And it reminds me of this story of George Washington Carver the guy who invented peanut butter, okay? I have a love affair with peanut butter. I will have a scoop of peanut butter every once in a while. Uh, and when I add stuff to it, I'm, I'm like, I think it's kind of ruining the flavor. So I just, I don't even want to have it on bread. I don't want to have it. Sometimes I'll have a little maple syrup because that, that combo is incredible. But I, I, I often just need the unadulterated peanut butter. And I have George Washington Carver to thank. And there's this incredible story that I revisit every once in a while when I feel completely lost creatively because I realize that I'm trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm trying to go so far outside the box that I am completely lost in the wilderness. And I remember this story that I heard of George Washington Carver and he tells, uh, he recounts a conversation that he had with God and he said, tell me why you created the universe. And he said that God said, try a, a question that is more appropriate to your size. And he's like, okay, forget the universe. Why did you create man? And God's like, no, no, smaller, think smaller. And he's like, why'd you create the peanut? And God's like, let's explore that tiny question together. And you know what that peanut was? That was his niche bullseye. He went from the universe, the big circle, to mankind, the middle circle, all the way down to the tiny bullseye, the peanut. And he didn't just make peanut butter. He made a whole bunch of other stuff, and it was completely revolutionary. Why? Because he zoomed in and hyper-focused on just the tiny 0.1% contribution that he has to make with his 0.1% different DNA on this planet. And ultimately, the point of this episode, there's a bunch of tactics, there's a bunch of ideas, there's a bunch of stuff that you can put to action right now, but I, I, I ultimately feel like that when I lose my way, it's because I have completely outsized my contribution and what I'm here to do and what I'm about and what my creative work is going to be. And I think it's got to be this thing that's never been seen and, and it's going to change the world and all that stuff. And I just got to remember 
I'm making the circle too big. I'm making the circle too big. I got to make it smaller. I got to make it smaller. I got to make it smaller. And when I do that, I can feel that anxiety lessen. I can feel that critic in my head that's like, you're not so special. I'm like, yeah, exactly. I'm not that special. I'm 0.1% special. <laughs> Very small amount. But I am going to focus on that amount. I'm going to find my way to that amount. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find my people that are going to help me find what that tiny little focus is going to be. And I'm going to do my best with it. That's all I can do. You can go take a class that really dives way deeper into this. The first class, that class is called Make Your Creativity Your Career, Six Exercises to Create a Successful Side Project. It's a strategic side project that you, we're gonna work, go deep on this niche bullseye in ways that we didn't do here. And then also uh, go deep into how to build a portfolio that really hits that bullseye right on the nose, the nose of the bullseye. That's what we should have called that class. Go check it out. And if you've done it before, it might be time to revisit and go through some of those exercises. Very proud of that class um, and grateful for to Skillshare for making it possible. Uh, also, huge thanks to listener Andre Petrovich of Petrovich Music. You can go see his music. He's the guy who sent me that lovely anecdote of Walter Isaacson that was a ended up becoming a missing piece to this episode. On Instagram, you can find him at P-I-E-T-R-E-W-I-C-Z music. Uh, and I believe it's Petrovich music. And uh, shout out to Seth Godin for his work with Purple Cow. We're a partially uh, listener-supported show. Uh, one of the ways we keep the lights on, metaphorically speaking, the lights are actually off in this room as I'm recording because it gets too shiny and hot in here. Um, but the way that we keep the light lights in the studio able to be turned on and, you know, the, the email list that we have and the transcription service and the hosting and the, all the different things that make this thing possible... One of the big ways that we do that is through Patreon and our Patreon backers. And uh, every time I see a patron come through there, I'm just extremely grateful. I'm extremely grateful to Emily Powell, one of our most recent backers. Thank you, Emily. And thanks to everybody else supporting the show. We couldn't do it without you. Um, thank you so much. And massive thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our jingle and our theme music. Thanks to Connor Jones for editing the show. Thank you to the whole CPT team, Ryan Appleton, Sophie Miller, Katie Chandler for assisting on content and all things Creative Pep Talk. And until we speak again, do whatever it takes to stay pepped up. <laughs>